The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, happy Wednesday, everybody. You're watching Scorebox with Karen Cho in Barcelona, Arabeli Gamedi and myself, Steve Sedgwick, here in London. Let's give you some headlines. Uh, global markets are towing the line ahead of key U.S. inflation data. Fascinating data yesterday. Boeing's troubles sending U.S. durable goods orders to their sharpest monthly fall since April 2020. In politics, President, Shul, uh, President Biden um, wins big in the Michigan Democratic primary, whilst uh, Donald Trump coasts to another victory, sweeping his fifth state ahead of Super Tuesday. NATO members pushing back, rejecting comments from French President Emmanuel Macron over the prospect of Western troops in Ukraine. But former Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko tells CNBC leaders must come together. Please demonstrate your leadership. And with this situation, without you, Putin would be stronger. Putin go further because the only language Putin understands is a language of strength. In tech news, Apple reportedly unwinds plans to build its own electric vehicle after a decade of development, shifting gears to focus on its generative AI unit. Honor pushes into the high-end smartphone market, announcing its first foldable flip phone. While Cisco CEO Chuck Robbins tells me AI is going to speed up transformation. AI, that time frame is just going to just be very tight. We're, we're going to see the impact of AI very quickly. And uh, I think that's the big difference. And I think it's going to be meaningful, have a meaningful impact on so many things. Well, welcome to your midweek edition then of Squawk Europe. But now, let's take a look at how this market fared out of the United States then yesterday. A bit of a mixed picture uh, somewhat. And I'll even point towards the Russell 2K, which has been fairly interesting to uh, make note of, because that's on a four-day uh, uptick then so far. But... Interestingly enough, it's about the data that we're looking at. Of course, we've seen central banks around the world make note of how they need more data to kind of get a sense of where things are headed and if inflation will be headed towards that 2% mark. And that durable goods data is one to really look out for, and we'll unpack that in just a moment. I know uh, Steve is definitely at pains to unpack that a little bit more and really get into the nuances of that. But the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq Composite uh, did manage to inch a little bit higher than yesterday, a third of a percent of gains then for the Nasdaq Composite yesterday, awaiting key inflation data as well. That PCE number out of the United States is highly uh, anticipated then tomorrow, of course, is the uh, day for that uh, piece of data. Second day of declines, though, for the 30 stock down. It is down a quarter of a percent. There nearly 100 points lost uh, in yesterday's trade. The three majors, though, they're all still up on the month and anticipated to go a little bit high. In fact, the Nasdaq Composite could go up nearly 6%, then 5.75% is what it is up uh, a month, uh, this, so far this month. And in fact, they've been up for four consecutive months, if indeed that is the case then this month as well. On to the Treasuries picture then. Shorter term Treasuries did outperform longer ones then, uh, it seems, then in yesterday's trade. The yield on the 10-year Treasury even advanced three basis points. So you're seeing that sit at 4.2875 right now then, uh, while the uh, two-year 
that 4.68 there. It was a pretty much a similar picture as well out of Europe. On to the dollar crosses then. The dollar eased yesterday, particularly against the Japanese yen, but still sitting around that 150 mark is where we've uh, seen it move to now. This is after, of course, data showed that Japan's core CPI inflation did exceed forecast there at the same time we had been speaking about those US durable goods data that falling more than expected plus you also had a US consumer confidence number then uh, slip in February and that was also short of forecast so another data point to look at on that front sterling dollar 126 uh, 58 there 108 then is euro dollar right now out of asia then of course it has been the property market which has been very interesting another story that we will unpack for you over the next three hours uh, hong kong's property index rallying after that that city's budget announcement then saying that it will do away uh, with uh, property restrictions in an effort to try and prop up that real estate sector out of Hong Kong. Asian markets mostly lower today, even just out of New Zealand to be very interesting there, that they've kept their interest rates steady. They're still at a 15-year high out of New Zealand uh, as well. So we'll unpack that one for you. As you can see, a drop of more than 1% for the Hang Seng. On to your opening calls then. Well, out of Europe yesterday, the market did close higher despite a few concerns around global sentiment. Then stock 600 ended up 0.2%. Most of the sectors were in positive territory. We look like we could have a mixed opening then as we head towards that. It's about nearly two hours from now. Steve. Thanks very much indeed, Arabide. Right. Um, I'm often at pains to explain to you that the headline data is almost irrelevant. Like when we look at payrolls, what you really want to know is what's going on under the hood of the US economy, not some random print, which is like sticking a tail on a donkey blindfolded. So durable goods is a great case in point. You'd have heard us explaining before the durable goods are a stunningly volatile series. And when you see this headline number, durable goods orders fell 6.1% in the month of January. You would think, my goodness me, this is a stunningly large recessionary indicator. But despite it being the sharpest monthly fall since April 2020, it was down to one company in the, in the main. And I think this is really important that we just do a little bit more work on this one. The decline was fueled by a near 60% fall in commercial aircraft orders after the Boeing planes, of course, many of them, not all of them, some were grounded by regulators. Now, if you take out, if you strip out transportation, orders actually only fell 0.3%. Now, it's still a decline, but 6% versus 0.3%. Isn't it amazing how one company's travails skewing the figure? Now, I want to dig even deeper because I want you to be more informed. And when I go a little bit deeper, I actually see that the core CapEx shipments, which is a proxy for equipment spending, which is a, a great barometer for US economic strength, actually the core CapEx shipments jumped 0.8% on the month after an upwardly revised 0.1% gain in December. So whilst one looks at the durable goods orders and the algorithms go, my goodness me, this is a terrible number. And so they're all selling off on the back or buying treasuries uh, on the back of the headline. Once you get into the core capex, which is again, the key barometer I'm looking at, durable goods, capital spending, capital spending on equipment, that for me, 
was pivotal. Okay, hopefully you, uh, that explains a few things. Uh, meanwhile, Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon says, um, it's just echoing really what Jamie Dimon said the day before. Mr. Solomon says he believes a soft landing is less certain than markets expected. Didn't, didn't Jamie Dimon say exactly the same thing? Anyway, speaking at a UBS conference, Mr. Solomon said he's seeing signs of tighter spending in the lower tier of the U.S. economy. Right, Manish Singh is Chief Investment Officer at Crossbridge Capital Group, and he doesn't need me to explain the nuances of data as well. But Manish, having said that, the data is complex at the moment. Um, We're still trying to work out how much lag is left in the system after this 500 plus basis points of hikes. I know you've got some interesting comments on the video. I'll let Karen cover that in a few moments time as well. But in terms of the data, what's it telling you, sir? So uh, good morning, Steve. Uh, I'm very glad that you explained the durable goods number just now. But uh, I would just add to it, if you strip the core part out, as you mentioned, the volatile uh, part from the Boeing element, the durable goods number has been falling consistently. And if you look at over last two years from March 2022, if I recall correctly, those are down 10%, which is not bad. But we are still talking about data, durable goods, which is falling. So it points out to all the price uh, price hikes and everything else that we saw in the past going out of the system. If you look at the conference board number and look at the inflation expectation, that is very much in line and has been consistently falling and down to around 2%. But we are not talking about inflation here, are we? Because if the the exuberance or the easing of financial conditions, because people feel that AI is going to be this next big thing like Netscape or AOL, if that keeps the financial conditions easy, then Fed is not going to be in a rush to cut rates. And that's where we are. So you're seeing a rally in the market, and positive feeling. And of course, the positive feeling is also coming from a U.S. government that is spending 6.5% of GDP deficit spending in peacetime. And these are the things that investors and I bear in mind and not get too much carried away with data. And I hear you. And again, I'll leave the NVIDIA and AOL and AI story for, for my colleagues to discuss with you as well. But the interpretation of the raw data on the broader U.S. economy, is it, um, is it, uh, is it right that the markets should be trading at the current levels it's trading at, elevated levels, elevated price earnings levels compared with history. Is it right in your minds that the markets are where they are, given where the data is? I I would say yes, because let's look at the GDP number, right? Because last whole year, there was a lot of expectation that recession is going to start. Uh, There was expectation that there will be second bout of inflation. Let me let me point out about second bout of inflation. If you look at 1970, when the inflation came down and then there was a resurgence of inflation, the reason that happened, because when the first instant inflation came down, the demand came down, but nothing happened to supply. And when the demand caught up again and nothing happened to supply, you had second round of inflation. This time there are research, and I have put that in last newsletter, is that the supply increase. Therefore, you haven't had this second round of inflation where supply increased and got better and better and better. So that's one thing. And second is about the government spending. I think it's the government spending part that has kept in, kept the recession at, at bay. And that money is still being spent. And, and if I may add third one, Steve, we heard the news about Apple giving up his, its plan to make the car. There has been a really a cut in spending or, or bringing their expense budget or bringing their cost budget uh, in line 
by tech companies. And that has also delivered better earnings because some of these tech stocks have not rallied purely on multiple expansion. I mean, a lot of rally is happening because they have delivered the earnings. Manish, I want to pick up on that point around Apple, but also even NVIDIA, because I'm so struck by what we've seen in terms of the stampede into the AI stocks. And NVIDIA performance year to date up more than 60 percent. Meta carried on the same journey up 40 percent. Compare that to Apple, that is down just over 1 percent. That's actually down. I mean, the dispersion we've seen on markets also finding its way into technology stocks now. And you just mentioned reversing out of the EV ambitions. And that's been the big report around Apple. It needs to, doesn't it? Because as the markets assess, they're not talking about uh, the FANG stocks uh, minus Apple. Uh, the journey we're seeing now really just carrying a handful of stocks forward. And Apple does not want to miss out on that, does it? Uh, uh, Karen, good morning. And it's a great point because what this story makes me think is Apple is no longer the lead innovator. It is a follower. And I think it has missed out on the AI thing that has happened. And now it is trying to play catch up. And the second thing, if I may say, is that you really don't have to build a car to to play the EV thing. You can, if Apple is good at software, let them build the software. I mean, look at NVIDIA. NVIDIA is not building everything around. It has built the hardware. And of course, it will build some software. But when you, know, you listen to Jensen Huang's um, press conference recently, or when he spoke to one of your colleagues at CNBC, he mentioned that not, not only they are making hardware, but they will also provide the tech stack to various sectors and industries who want to build on, on, on the chip, uh, the AI models and uh, large data models. And I think this is what has happened. So NVIDIA is running away with leadership. In my opinion, and I, I'm just forecasting, I think it will be the largest company in the world. It will overtake Microsoft as well, maybe in 12 months or 24 months, or maybe three years, however long it takes, because it is building an ecosystem. And to me, the learning is that Apple is not a lead innovator. Apple is a follower and Apple is trying to catch up on AI and therefore they're giving up on the ambition of, of electric car. Uh, Manish, good morning to you then. What do we say for, App, uh, for Alphabet then on the other side? I mean, big questions were asked there as well about its AI plans and uh, a few missteps as it were as well for that one with their Gemini modeling. I mean, do, do they then look like they, they could be losing steam? Uh, I would say yes, though. I mean, it's difficult to uh, to hazard a big guess on Apple, given the leadership position that they have in search and everything else. So I'm not bearish on Google, but I do think that there's only one company which is really leading innovation, and that is NVIDIA, because they have really not focused on just making money. Because if you look at Jensen Huang, is a phenomenal person. His whole life history is is an exceptional read to see how he works around. So there is, there is a very good leadership, a founder leader who has been at the company for 30 years, who has now built an ecosystem. I like to say that he has he has built the App Store or Apple Music, you know, where people are still tampering, making some little music on the side. You know, and NVIDIA has already built the App Store and everyone else has to build the software on that. Pretty much what Apple did before with Steve Jobs uh, and others have to play catch up. And, and that's the only thing I say. And one final point I will say, again, both for Google and Apple, is that if you look at uh, I was stunned to see that Apple thinks that a car at $100,000 will not make them enough margin to justify for them to keep producing it. Now, either they are not being true about the reasons because they don't think that they should be going down that path and they need to, they are missing out on AI and they should be spending all their money and energy on AI. Or second, it's just, uh, it just says where the world is in terms of prices that a $100,000 car is not profitable to make.
Yeah, this, this definitely is an interesting space and one we'll continue to look at. Manish, I appreciate the time though this morning. Manish Singh is the Chief Investment Officer at Crossbridge Capital Group. Now, NBC News is projecting that Democrat President Joe Biden, as well as Republican former President Donald Trump, have won their respective primary elections in Michigan. Biden has secured over 80% of the reported votes so far. That's around 13% of voters have chosen the uncommitted ballot option, though, after a campaign opposed to the president's handling of the war between Israel and Hamas called for a protest vote. Meanwhile, former President Trump has secured his sixth straight victory of the GOP nomination campaign, winning around 68% of the reported vote. It's well ahead of his nearest rival, Nikki Haley. In the meantime, usual chaos in Capitol Hill. President Biden met with the top U.S. lawmakers ahead of a Friday deadline. This to avoid a partial government shutdown. Yes, yet another one. As hardline Republicans in the House stall spending bills. The group also discussed uh, the other hot potato, which is funding for Ukraine. With the president, Mr. Biden, warning of the potential impact of delayed aid. The consequences of inaction every day in Ukraine are dire. I've been speaking to some of our our G7 partners, and you just got back, Chuck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're very concerned, and uh, also we need to uh, we we need to, in terms of supplemental, we need to deal with the Israeli portion, but that also contains a significant portion having to do with humanitarian assistance into the Palestinian area. That I think is important, and government funding. Uh, I'm sure you guys had all that. I'll take care of it. Uh, I can decide. I think that uh, it's a Congress's responsibility from the government. We've got to get about doing it. Shutdown would damage the economy significantly. And I think we all agree to that. And we need a bipartisan solution. Well, coming up on the show, European leaders pushing back on comments made by French President Emmanuel Macron saying there are no plans to send troops to Ukraine. We'll have the latest next. Plus, AI and 5G, as well as regulation, continue to dominate conversations at the Mobile World Congress. We'll have more from our team on the ground later this hour. And Holson reporting 6.6 billion Swiss francs in fourth quarter sales. We'll speak to the CEO, Jan Jenic. That's coming up at 7.50 CET. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. We spent a lot of time yesterday talking with Sylvia and Charlotte about this extraordinary intervention from Monsieur Macron about Western troops in Ukraine. So let's just fill in what the reaction's been on both sides of the war. A Kremlin spokesperson has warned that Western troops in Ukraine would make war between NATO allies and Russia an inevitability rather than a likelihood. This after comments from the French President Emmanuel Macron did not rule out putting boots on the ground. 
Well, the pushback continued. European leaders distanced themselves from Macron's comments, saying they have no plans to send troops to Ukraine. <clears throat> Seeking to clarify the situation, the French Foreign Minister Stéphane Sejourne told lawmakers that the idea had been to send troops for non-combat purposes, such as mine cleaning, clearing, clearing. But that's not what he said yesterday. He said to defend Ukraine. If you remember those exact words, and that's why I picked up on those exact words. This isn't about ancillary roles. This isn't about training. This is not repairing um, munitions and, and tanks and what have you. This was defend. And that's a very clear difference between ancillary roles and combat roles. That's why we made the point yesterday. The German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, he weighed in saying Western policy on troops in Ukraine remains consistent dass das, was von Anfang an untereinander... What was established among ourselves from the start also goes for the future. Namely, that there will be no ground troops, no soldiers on Ukrainian soil who are sent there by European states or NATO states. And that soldiers operating in our countries also are not participating actively in the war themselves. Sylvia, um, well, I tell you what, just take it away, because there's so many elements. And you've, you've conducted a, a very interesting interview with a man I first interviewed just after the war started in uh, 2014. But uh, you carry on. So let's digest what has happened. In essence, the words of President Macron have actually taken a life of their own. They've taken a lot of, um, essentially, they've been commented pretty much across all of the NATO capitals. But the key here is to remember that he did not say that uh, the plan is to send troops to Ukraine. More importantly, is worth remembering that Ukraine is not asking for NATO troops on the ground at this stage. And it's important to keep in mind that because it feels that this debate is just getting a little bit, as I said, it's getting a life of its own and it's just being commented all over the place. What Ukraine is asking at this stage is more artillery, more tanks, so they can continue to fight this war. I had the chance to speak to the former president of Ukraine, Peter Poroshenko, and that's exactly what he reiterated. I asked him if troops on the ground, NATO troops on the ground, is what Ukraine needs at this stage to win this war, but he actually chose to refer to the fact that what they need is ammunition and tanks. Let's take a look. First of all, this is not only Ukraine to need to win the war, but the whole Europe, the whole NATO, the whole world, free and democratic. We have a three stage. Stage number one, Ukraine surprised the world by ability of the armed forces which were created uh, by my team since year 2014 to stop Russian troops and to free uh, Ukrainian lands which was captured during the first months of the war. And it would be easier and cheaper for the whole Western world to give us the weapons and money and help us to do your job. And this war is not only about Ukraine, and this is not an assistance for Ukraine. This is the investment in your own security. And Ukraine paid for that the biggest price the lives of our hero. Every single week I am on the front line. I see with my own eyes the position of Russian troops and the heroic Ukrainian soldiers. And with that situation, we definitely need up-to-date demand for our troops. Because in the year 2022, that was tank, and we received it with delay of one year. 
In year 2023, we need a red electronic warfare system and drones, and we receive it only in 2024. 2024, now, urgently, we need F-16. And if that we don't have ammunition, we don't have tanks, we don't have drones, and uh, we don't have, at the end of the day, F-16. Very clear, Mr. Poroshenko, very clear what you need. So what's your message to European countries that are struggling to send more ammunition to Ukraine? Do you understand where they're coming from? First of all, I want to thank leaders of the European nation who do their best to deliver us necessary things. Yesterday I met with the whole parliamentary delegation of Denmark and I thank for the fact that they are second on the GDP uh, percent for supply us uh, all necessary things. I want to thank the president of Czech Republic, my good friend, uh, Peter Pavel, when he tried to uh, deliver us one million shells and saying, if you don't have a shells, give the money to the president of Czech Republic and he delivered it to us. The only thing is now, the biggest uh, military power in the world is the United States. And uh, my appeal, please demonstrate your leadership. And with this situation, without you, Putin would be stronger. Putin go further, because the only language Putin understands is a language of strength. And another thing you should constantly remember, every single hour for delay the artillery shells means human lives, lives of our soldiers and lives of our civilians. And this is too much and too high price for that. Petr Poroshenko there, the former president of Ukraine. He also made it clear that another thing Ukraine needs as soon as possible is U.S. financial support. And given all the uncertainty when it comes to financial aid from the United States, tensions that we're seeing at this stage with Polish farmers and Ukraine, and then, of course, also the question mark of further art artillery and military support from the Europeans themselves, I also asked him whether he still trusts his uh, uh, Western allies, and he said... Undoubtedly. So let's see how this will evolve, but definitely a lot of tension now when you look at Ukraine. Indeed it is. Thank you very much indeed for that coverage. Right, Karen, let me hand over to you. And uh, a deal that was talked about yesterday looks like it might be coming together. Indeed. Consolidation is the buzzword here at Mobile World Congress. And news on the wires this morning that Swisscom plans to merge Vodafone Italia with Fastweb. This is a Swisscom subsidiary in Italy. The numbers here, preliminary purchase price for Vodafone Italia of 8 billion euros on a cash and debt-free basis. There was some movement on Vodafone stock yesterday, uh, perhaps in anticipation. Uh, the stock up more than 3% in trade yesterday. Why is this relevant? Well, don't forget, Italy is still one of the markets that Vodafone's been trying to fix. Uh, a big conversation here has been, look, the investment requirements in these networks are not justified. And recently, Margarita Della Valle, who is the CEO of Vodafone, was talking about this market, saying it's very challenging. No player is delivering returns in excess of cost of capital. So consolidation to take place here. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho weekdays on CNBC.